Welcome back to Freedom Fridays. In this episode of Freedom Fridays, we are continuing our discussion on the local church. This is part two. And today we're going to start by talking about the leadership of the local church. Now, I'm going to treat this as I always have. And um, biblically, I believe that there is strong evidence that the leadership of the local church is made up of pastor and deacons, um, not pastor and elders and deacons. Uh, and I'm going to show you why. And uh, so when we talk about pastor, there are three different terms used in scripture for the office that we call pastor. There's different terms in scripture. There's different words you could use. You could call it anything you want. Um, but there are three terms in scripture that, that um, designate this office. First one is in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Actually, this one has all three of them in here. Therefore, I exalt the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God. And not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And so he's talking here in these first four verses about shepherding the flock. That word shepherd is the word that we have as pastor. That's really what pastor means is shepherd. And so the connotation here in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God. And then in relation to verse 3, where he's talking about the flock, uh, be examples to the flock, verse 4, in relation to the chief shepherd. So that's where we get the word pastor. Now we also see in this passage, oversight or overseer which is um, sometimes translated bishop. The Greek word is episkopos. Uh, the Greek word for pastor is poimenos. And then we also see in verse 1, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. That word elder in the English is the Greek word presbyteros. Um, that's the word that we get the word presbyterian for the Presbyterian church. Um, that's where they, they get their name. And so you see all three terms, and all three of those terms, I'm going to make a case for you, are the pastor. And this, this passage right here is pretty strong, but there are even stronger passages where he's talking to the elders as a fellow elder to shepherd the flock and exercise oversight. There's all three terms right there. Elder, shepherd, overseer, or oversight. It's just a different form of the same term. Let's go to um, 
uh, Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled. And so, and he continues on in verse 9, but you see here he calls him elder in verse 5, which is the, the Greek term presbyteros, and then in verse 7, for the overseer, which is the Greek word episkopos, they're equated. Because he says, appoint elders in every city, verse 5. And why? Why does he need to be above a reproach, the husband and wife, one wife having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion? Verse 7, 4, or because the overseer must be above reproach. So the overseer is the elder. You see the connection there. The overseer is the elder. And we can go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, where we have two um, offices laid out in chapter 3. Verse 1, it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. And then he goes to describe how the overseer should act and what they should be like. And then in verse 8, he says, Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine, etc., etc., and goes to describe how deacons should act and what they should be like. And so in this passage, he doesn't come back around and title elder. It's very interesting. He does talk about elder in chapter 5 when he's talking about an older man. And he talks about elder in, in relation to the overseer in the end there. But here in this passage, in, this, in the middle of this book of 1 Timothy, where he's laying out the leadership of the church, and that's the purpose of, of this section, he doesn't even mention elder. He only mentions overseer or bishop, depending on your translation, which is episkopos. And he mentions deacons, which are diakonos, and that's a completely different term that we're going to get to in a moment. And so you see here that the three terms are really one office. They're not three different offices. The pastor is the elder is the bishop, is the overseer, they're all the same. And this pastor, as a definition for you, is a leading person or ranking person who is recognized as called of God for the ministry of the church in all areas of the church. They are a leading person in the church. 
Um, so what are the qualifications? They're listed out here. They're listed again in Titus. We just looked at Titus 1, uh, 5 through 9, I believe they're listed there. We've got some listed here as well, some qualifications or characteristics of what a an elder, pastor, overseer, bishop should look like. Um, verse 2, an overseer then must be above reproach. So what does it mean to be above reproach? That means your character, when people look at your character, it doesn't bring reproach upon the church. It doesn't bring, bring reproach upon Christ. The husband of one wife. Literally, this is a one wife kind of guy. This is a one woman kind of man. This isn't a womanizer. This isn't a man who's going from one woman to the next, to the next, to the next. He's got one. And uh, one is enough for him. He's content with one. And so he is the husband of one wife. Um, he is The next thing we have after husband of one wife, we find temperate. By the way, husband of one wife. He is the husband. So he is a man. He is temperate, he's on alert, prudent, he's sober-minded, not quickly controlled by his emotions, he's respectable or orderly, he is hospitable, he's fond of guests, he, he, he opens his doors to other people, he, he takes care of other people, he's able to teach. Now that should be obvious, right? One who has the ability to share Biblical life and biblical and life truths with people so that they may apply them. So biblical truths to life, to every area of life, is able to teach. Not addicted to wine or pugnacious. So he does not have literally wine alongside himself. He doesn't bring wine next to him. He, he does he's not addicted to it. He's 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 not stuck on wine. That doesn't mean he can't drink a glass of wine with dinner or anything like that. It means that he doesn't have to. He's not addicted to it, and it's not a big deal to him. Wine is just not a big deal to him. He doesn't, he doesn't look for it. He doesn't want it. He doesn't desire it. He's not violent. He's not pugnacious. Um... And then next, but he is gentle, peaceable. So he's trying to make peace and, and he's able to be made peace with. He's free from the love of money. He's not greedy. Next, it says that uh, he must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. So he rules his own household well. And why is that important? Except that is extremely important because of the very next phrase. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the, of the church of God, which is the household of God? So he, he needs to be able to organize his own household and control his own household. That doesn't mean his kids are always under control and they don't ever make a, a problem, they don't ever sin, they don't ever do anything wrong, that would be 
you know, he doesn't have perfect children anybody more than anybody else. His children are sinners just like everyone else. It means he knows how to deal with it. Just like when the church, which is made up of sinners, has a problem, he can know how to deal with it because he has learned in the family as well. Next one in verse 6, not a new convert. And he gives a reason for that because otherwise you'll you'll fall into the condemnation of the devil, which is pride. If he's a new convert and all of a sudden you put him into the into the pastorate, um, he's going to get thinking his, that he's more than he really is. And so he's going to be swelled up with pride. And, and so we avoid doing that to someone. It's best if they serve under someone else to begin with in that instance, if they're a new convert. Um, verse 7, he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. And so he has to have a good reputa reputation for, with those outside the church. He, he's How are you going to minister to people outside the church? How are you going to lead your church to minister to people outside the church if the people outside the church don't respect you, don't like you, and think you are... are uh, someone who doesn't like them. So he has to have a good reputation. Now, let's take a look at the next one, which is deacon. Deacon, uh, the English word deacon is really a transliteration of the Greek word. It's not a translation because the Greek word is diakonos, and they just took that and changed the letters into English words roughly and came out with deacon. The definition of the word deacon is to serve or um, providing a service or ministering to other people. So deacons really should be ministering to others in the congregation. They are not the overseers. That is where we get off track quite often. That should be the the pastor, elder, um, teacher, you know, all those words that we said before, bishop, overseer, pastor, elder, that should be the overseer. Deacons, although they help, are just that. They're helping. They come alongside and help the pastor as well as helping the congregation. So deacons should be involved in the rest of the congregation. In fact, the very first time that we see Deacons on the scene is in Acts chapter 6, in the first few verses. And the issue going on here is the apostles were trying to teach the people the word of God. There were people that needed to be ministered to their physical needs, and they needed to um, help out the widows and, and such. And that's a thing that we need to do. And it was wearing on them because they didn't have enough time to do both. And so they chose six men to help with that. And they were there to minister to the widows. And so that is the first institution of deacon that we see. And then we come to back to 1 Timothy 3, and he says this is actually one of the people in the church, one of the leadership positions in the church is deacon. Those are the only two he names out, are overseer and deacon. 
And then what is a deacon supposed to be like? Deacons likewise, likewise of what? Likewise of the pastor or overseer, they need to have a really good character about them. And so they must be men of dignity. They, they need to be worthy of honor. And then it says not double-tongued. They need to have integrity. They, what, not speaking out of both sides of their mouths is the concept of double-tongued. They need to, to say what they mean and mean what they say. And their yes needs to be yes and their no needs to be no. Uh, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine. Okay, again, this is the same thing as the pastor here. They're not addicted to much wine. Doesn't mean they can't have some. It means they, they're not addicted to getting drunk. They're not, they're not drawn to drunkenness. They're not drawn to wine. Or fond of sordid gains, so they're not greedy, just like the, the pastor needs to be, the overseer. Um, verse 9, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. So they need to be faithful to the word of God. They need to be um, not just holding on to the doctrinal statement of the church because it's the doctrinal statement of the church, but because they truly believe it and they hold tight to it just like the rest of the congregation should. Um, it says these men must also, verse 10, be first, first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. And so they have to be tested, and then they have to show that they are living what they say they believe. And they are living the faith. They're living the, the precepts of the, the foundations of our faith. And so, again, just like the pastor, don't throw them into deacon as soon as they're a convert, because that's going to provide pride as well, just like throwing them into the pastorate would. Then it talks about their, their family. Um, and uh, deacons, verse 12, must be husbands of only one wife. The same thing that it says for pastors. Deacons should be a one-woman kind of guy too. Again, they're a guy. They're husbands of one wife. I don't care if you think you redefined husband as being a, a, a woman or a man. You don't get to define that word because God defined it already. And so these are men who are one woman type of men. They have one wife. Um, after this, it says good managers of their children in their own households. Why? Because the same reason the overseer pastor needs to be because they are involved in the leadership of the church. And in to be involved in the leadership of the church, you need to be able to lead your family well. And then the last thing they say here in verse 13, for those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And so they have to use this office well. Don't use it for their own gain, but use it for the, the building up of the body of Christ, for helping people being built up to do the work of the ministry. That's the purpose of both of these uh, positions. Now, we also talked about the ordinances of the church just a few weeks ago, so I'm not going to go into detail over that, except to realize that the ordinances of 
um, baptism and communion or the Lord's Supper are given to the church. The church is God's plan for this age. It is God's um, tool to use to reach the, the world. Everything that we do to reach the world, evangelism, should done, be done in the context of the church. Now, that doesn't mean in the service of the church. It doesn't mean in one of the worship services. You can go out as a member of a church, go out and reach somebody, but then they should be brought into the church. Discipleship should be in the context of the church. Baptism should be in the context of the church. Communion should be in the context of the church. And so those things should be in the context of the church. The other thing that should be in the context of the church, and the last thing we're going to discuss in this, is church discipline. Jesus named it out even before the church was formed in Matthew chapter 18, when he gives the plan of church discipline. And he says here to uh, if your brother sins, verse 15, go and show him his fault in private. Um, then if he doesn't listen to you, take one or go go take one or two witnesses with you. Take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. You being one of the two and then the other two being part of the three. And then if he refuses to hear them, then you bring it to the church, it says. The ecclesia. Why would it be, if he didn't have such an important role in the church, why would he even name this? But he does. And bring it to the congregation. If he doesn't hear the congregation, then you put him out. And one thing we need to remember through this whole process, at every step of this process, the purpose is to get this erring brother to repent and turn back to God and come back into fellowship, whether it's fellowship with you, fellowship with you and the two and the one or two with you, fellowship with the whole congregation. That's the purpose. Even to the point of turning them over to Satan for the saving of their souls, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And so even to the point of putting them away is so that they would see their error and come back. And we need to, at any step of this process, be not only willing, but eager to bring them back into fellowship. They're not kicked out for good. This is not a, a permanent thing. The goal is correction and restoration. Well, that is the end of our discussion on the local church. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week on Freedom Fridays. Mm -hmm.